0: Welcome to another edition of Alternative News brought to you by Romina Betsin from the Campaign for International Cooperation and Disarmament, produced at the community radio station 3CR. Today I will speak about nuclear weapons and Australia's position on disarmament. Why does Australia even need new submarines? Federal election, Palestinian children and four Palestinians living in Australia told Michael Brawl what al nakba their nation's catastrophe, means to them. Nuclear weapons and Australia's position on disarmament. Nuclear weapons are the only weapons of mass destruction not yet prohibited under international law. The humanitarian pledge is a commitment by nations to fill this unacceptable legal gap. The pledge was issued on 9 December 2014 at the conclusion of the Vienna Conference on the Humanitarian Impact of Nuclear Weapons. 158 nations attended the conference. On 7 December 2015, the United Nations General Assembly adopted the pledge. At the beginning of the second session of the UN Working Group, several concrete proposals for starting negotiations on a new international treaty that prohibiting nuclear weapons were put forward. 127 nations have formally endorsed the pledge. They have also called for a new treaty to prohibit and eliminate nuclear weapons. This is the first time the pledge group has come together to contribute independently to a UN meeting to make recommendations on how to move the pledge forward. The community of Latin American and Caribbean states have also submitted a proposal calling for the start multilateral diplomatic process for the negotiation of a legally binding instrument for the prohibition of nuclear weapons. The UN Working Group met in Geneva between 2nd and 13th May this year and discussed new legal measures like a treaty banning nuclear weapons. A ban would not only make it illegal for nations to use or possess nuclear weapons, it would also help pave the way to their complete elimination. Today, Australia claims protection from US nuclear weapons. Australia's early ambitions to acquire an atomic arsenal ended when it joined the Non-Proliferation Treaty in 1973, but it has not yet become a strong and consistent supporter of nuclear disarmament. Australia has resisted calls by civil society to join the vast majority of nations in supporting negotiations on a treaty to outlaw nuclear weapons as the government believes that US nuclear weapons enhance Australia's security. Australia also contributes to global nuclear dangers through the export of uranium to most of the nuclear-armed nations. Many Australian financial institutions, including the government-owned Future Fund, invest in foreign companies that manufacture, maintain and modernise nuclear arsenals. It is time for Australia to end its involvement in the nuclear problem. The Australian government should be helping drive diplomatic initiative to put nuclear weapons on the same legal footing as other weapons of mass destruction and pave the way to their complete elimination. Eliminating nuclear weapons via a comprehensive treaty is the only guarantee against their use. Why does Australia even need new submarines? Why are we building a new fleet of extremely costly military submarines that will almost certainly never be used in war? The actual cost of the submarines when completed will be much higher than the figure proposed now. In reality, these submarines are supposed to deter our notional enemy, the idea is that simply by possessing these sorts of weapons, China or any other country will be discouraged from acting aggressively. But if China is not deterred by the prospect of nuclear abolition at the hands of the U.S., why should we imagine that our 12 submarines would do the trick? China rightly points out that unlike the US and Australia, it has not been involved in a war worthy of the name since the 1970s. Australia, however, has fought in Iraq twice, Afghanistan and Syria in recent times. Given Australia's enthusiasm for foreign military adventures, no matter how remote the conflict, our neighbours may feel understandably alarmed at both the submarine purchase and the relative diminishing of their security as a consequence. History suggests that that arms races end badly. The principal consequence of the expected but little debated decision to acquire these boats is to contribute to a rapidly escalating regional arms race. This would be a harmfully expensive, dangerous and definitely unsuccessful exercise federal election. As you know, the government's ABCC bills was voted down and we are heading to a July 2nd double dissolution election. Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull had set aside three extra sitting weeks for the Senate to consider and pass his ABCC bills, but it took less than a day for the Building Commission legislation to be rejected again by the Senate. There was very little on the legislative agenda, so all 150 members of parliament and 76 senators headed home from Canberra. Just two days in Canberra for our political leaders have costed the taxpayers almost $1.4 million. You may also have heard that Mr. Temple is named in Panama Papers. He's just been named as a former director of Mossack Fonseca. Prime Minister is listed in amongst the Dodgy Shell Corporation's headquarters in tax havens. It's no wonder his Member of Parliament aren't doing enough to crack down on corporate tax avoidance. Could this mean that Mr Temple actively supported companies in hiding their wealth from governments? Clearly there is a need for legislative action on tax avoidance. We need big corporations and the wealthy to pay their fair share. The alternative is that we will see more cuts to our social services. The election is only eight weeks away and it appears to be a tight contest. Palestinian children. The situation on the ground for Palestinian children is rapidly worsening. At the end of February, there were 440 Palestinian children in Israeli military detention. This is the highest number since data became available from the Israel prison from the Israel Prison Service in 2008 and the numbers are growing. A report released in April by Defence for Children International Palestine based on the testimony of 429 Palestinian children, Palestinian children detained by Israeli military or police, found that three-quarters suffered some form of physical violence following arrest. For the first time in nearly four years, Israel has reintroduced the use of administrative detention against children, a procedure whereby a child can be detained without charge or trial indefinitely. To effectively monitor and respond to this crisis, Betty McCollum, who is the U.S. Representative for Minnesota, has initiated a letter to President Obama asking him to a special envoy to examine the critical situation of Palestinian children living in the occupied West Bank, including East Jerusalem. Appointing a special envoy will promote greater respect and accountability for the human rights of Palestinian children. Four Palestinians living in Australia told Michael Brawl... Michael Brawl is a writer for New Matilda. He has written for a range of other publications, including Overland, ABC's Drum, The Guardian and elsewhere. What Al-Nakbar, their nation's catastrophe, means to them. The four Palestinians were Samar Sabavi, who is a Palestinian-Australian poet and playwright... She is a policy advisor to al Shabaka, the Palestinian Policy Network. Fahad Ali is a Palestinian activist and student based in Sydney and the founder of Labour Friends of Palestine. Bassam Dali is an Australian-Palestinian advocate and professor at the Centre for Energy Technology at the University of Adelaide. He is co-founder and executive member of the Australian Friends of Palestinian Association and the vice president of the Australian-Palestinian Advocacy Network. Ryan Al-Natur works at Central Queensland University on a project examining indigenization of the curriculum. He has a PhD in sociology and cultural studies and has background lecturing in social sciences and working in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tertiary education. He is originally from Ramallah. He said, While I write about what the Nakba means to me as a Palestinian living in central Queensland, I have various thoughts, feelings and emotions going through my mind. The way I commemorate the Nakba in my ancestral land varies from the way I think about my life on lands in which Aboriginal peoples were dispossessed much the same way my people were from Palestine. They expressed what Nakba Day is and what it means to them. Australia Day marks the date of the colonial invasion by the First Fleet. While many Australians celebrate the day, many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples mourn it as Invasion Day or Survival Day. The creation of Australia meant their disposition and their devastation of their people's and cultures. Likewise, Israel's founding is celebrated on Yom Ha'atzmaut. This is held on the Jewish calendar's equivalent of 14th May, the anniversary of the day in 1948 when Israel declared independence. On 15 May, Palestinians mourn Nakba Day, like Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. The creation of Israel meant the dispossession of Palestinians from their homes. Nakba is not an isolated incident in history. Its commemoration is a reminder of the beginning of an ongoing crime. They all said they cannot forget the 1948 massacre of Deir Yassin, nor wash away from their eyes the images of scattered children limbs in Gaza in 2014. Same crimes, same excuses, and same ideology. Same criminals, same rhetoric, and same international complicity. But we know that no perfect crime can stand the scrutiny of time. So we We carry our Palestine in our hearts and in our living memory. 68 years ago, Palestine was erased from the map, but no map is set in stone maps have no heart and soul they said we must teach our children that peace cannot be without justice because a peace without justice is the silent defeat of the oppressed and our people will not be silenced nor will we normalize oppression we are nakba survivors and we survive nakba every day ethnic cleansing exile and displacement has not yet muted the blood of palestine That, of course, is the critical failure of the Nakba, a failure that will come back to haunt the Zionist project. At this moment in history, we are faced with a new fascism. Anti-Semitism is again a force in Europe, and anti-Arabism is spreading a dark hand across the globe. Imagine a proud unity of Jews and Arabs committed to the best values of humanity a single democratic state for all its citizens, Jewish, Arab and otherwise. Imagine, think of the future we could build together, committed to peace, justice and freedom. There is a Hebrew expression for this kind of project, Tikhan Olam, means repairing the world. An Arabic one too, often misinterpreted, jihad means to do what is right, to struggle against injustice. The injustice of the Nakba, still evident some 70 years later, has crossed generations, borders and beliefs. The lesson of the Nakba and the ongoing Intifada is that the only guarantee against injustice is what we as one people do with our own hearts and hands. The Nakba is a lesson in unity in the face of injustice. That's all we have time for today. Thank you for listening to Alternative News brought to you from the community radio station 3CR. I'm Romina Betson, looking forward to your company again next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.